0: Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
1: The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
0: City ruining football since 2008. Well, that seems to be the general consensus of opposition fans as the Blues close in on yet another trophy-laden campaign. Ahead of tomorrow's crunch title decider at the Etihad, we ask if it's true no other club can compete with City or if everyone else is just a little bit shit instead. It's Tuesday, the 25th of April. I'm Amos Murphy.
2: I'm Adam Booker. I'm Ollie McCool.
0: And this is the City Report Podcast.
1: Unbelievable. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6. It's 2 for Dzeko.
0: Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. possible whisper it people but the treble is well and truly on so gear up for what could be a potentially season-defining couple of weeks by heading over to beer monster it's the place where you'll find all of your favorite household beers at refreshingly low prices and listeners can grab an extra five pounds off any order between now and the end of april What's more, with free shipping on all orders over £35, there is absolutely no excuse. UK residents only 18 and over drink responsibly. So, Ollie, you and I were here yesterday, reveling about the victory against Sheffield United and Arsenal's misfortune in the title race once again. Adam, quickly before we sort of switch focus officially to the Arsenal game, and we're gonna have a little bit of fun today. I reckon we're gonna we're gonna take the gloves off of the seriousness and we'll we'll delve into a little bit of the tribal uh, the tribal jibe stuff instead. Um, footballing weekend wasn't too bad, was it? Apart from sort of Man United finding a way through to the FA Cup final somehow
3: yeah no it was a it was a good weekend um for me personally as well I had a Saturday off for the first time in a long time um so I got to head out to a pub and and watch the game on Saturday um yeah it was a great weekend until that Lindelof penalty hit the back of the net and then it just you know it turned to dread it turned to the realization of the month ahead of us and by 10 p.m hear the the mail uh online their front page was already out online and it was ten hogs quote of you know we'll do whatever we can to stop them from winning the treble and blah 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 and it just it kind of turned to to dread i know we got a little bit of criticism for being at least within our own house we got a little bit of criticism for being pessimistic on yesterday's episode (laughs) uh well you guys did i wasn't on it but um yeah i'm i'm filled with dread i can't lie
0: Ollie, it's gone from Manchester United, the quadruple challenges fighting on all four fronts, which included the Europa League, so it was never even a quadruple charge anyway, to United's only real sort of, only thing they can can do from this point on between now and the end of the season, obviously win a trophy themselves, but stop City potentially winning the treble, which is obviously heralded by Manchester United fans as the ultimate achievement in English football, as they like to bang on about. It's quite the decline, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, we always hear that no one cares about City, but suddenly, quite a lot of Manchester United fans are caring about City. I mean, ever since City's kind of debut on the world stage in two thousand and eight, when the new owners arrived, it's been it's been like that. They've all have all said, "Oh, we don't care. They're just an old club. No one cares about them." I mean, I would say every single Manchester United writer fan output merchant, whatever you want to call them. I don't want to call them content creators. Um, All of them are just saying, oh, we've got to stop City winning the treble. And they always sound like that as well. Goldbridge thinking of you. Um, But, you know, it's just that simple. That's all they've got. That's all they've got. You know, they told us for four years when we won the Carabao Cup that it meant nothing. And suddenly, you know, it's their first trophy in six years and it's the most important thing ever. And then it was, oh, we're title challenging. And then they suddenly weren't a week later. And now they're out of Europe having had severe problems again. And uh, now they're just back to caring about little old city. Welcome back. Welcome back.
0: Not in my lifetime, as one fellow once said. Um, It's nicely set up because today's episode, obviously, we're looking ahead to Arsenal, which is happening at the Etihad Stadium tomorrow. But to sort of preface this, we thought we'd jump on the back of some of the stories out of the weekend's reporting, the weekend's matches, which sort of focused quite bizarrely, we'll start with this one, Adam, quite bizarrely on, on how Manchester City is to blame for every other club in the English football pyramid, essentially, all of their shortcomings, there was, a, there was a piece in The Athletic by Jack Pitt Pitbrook, who who covers Tottenham Hotspur. Um, this was before they were beaten, 6-1 by Newcastle, and before they were 5-0 down within 21 minutes. Essentially suggesting that Tottenham Hotspur, Daniel Levy, the club itself, are unable to compete with the likes of, and this is the quotation marks, state club State clubs like Newcastle and Manchester City. Um, you had some, you had some strong opinions as usual on brand about this. A few of them made me laugh. Um, what did you make of it?
3: For a start, I, there's kind of a, there's probably three or four bullet points to hit with this one. But for a start, the fact that it's coming from Spurs is the funniest part of all of this you know there is a. I have a slight 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 and i mean slight bit of sympathy for maybe the clubs like arsenal or liverpool who you know they got used to the the winning and being at the top and being a lead and everything was handed to them on a silver platter and then the club like city comes along blows up the apple cart and you know they you know they're back to being Mid-table obscurity for Liverpool for a long time. Even Arsenal were mid-table for a couple of seasons. Um, I did not realize that Sheikh Mansour took City over in 1961. <laughs> that's that, that's that's all you have to say about it being Tottenham. It, it, what what what? What roaring success did City come in and break up for Tottenham? And and they they can say that oh you know it's it's another club that has prevented Tottenham from you know, qualifying for the Champions League, whatever. But when they get there, they bow out in the group stage or the round of 16. They don't make meaningful title runs, or if they do, they lose them to Leicester City of all clubs. Um, So I'm not exactly sure what competing they were doing before that now has been halted.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think the last trophy would have been in 1991, apart from the League Cup. So, before the 15 years prior to Sheikh Mansour taking over City, they won a grand total of one trophy. In the 15 years after Sheikh Mansour has taken over City, they've won zero trophies. So, like you say, you know. So, maybe they have the a cup. point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they have halted that success of a grand total of one league cup, but it, it it's part of a wider conversation, isn't it, Ollie? And and City's opponents in this current title race have, have chimed in on the back of it, and and you know, at this podcast, we've made a a, a point from the very beginning to say that. There are aspects of city's ownerships that that should rightly be questioned you know we've brought that up all the time we're not going to sit through that now because I, I, you know city fans don't need belittling they're intelligent enough to go off and read about it and quite frankly, not everybody wants to be lectured on the geopolitics of the middle east and and you know people go to a football match they have the ninety minutes in the ground they have the, the couple of hours before with friends they like to drink, they like to eat food, whatever it is. It's an escape for a lot of people. And then I appreciate some of these conversations can be tedious. But going back to the point, Arsenal are, are a club who, even in the build-up to our meeting at the Etihad, uh, sorry, at the Emirates, the Emirates Stadium, uh, the Emirates Stadium... Yeah, say that again said, louder for the people yeah, in the back. Yeah, the, 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 the Emirates, the, uh, the Middle Eastern uh, United Arab Emirates national airline... Revealed a, a money, uh, sorry, a banner saying that Arsenal is a is a club of class and tradition, something all your money can't buy. Obviously, linking it to City and, and possibly Newcastle. Not quite sure about where the, the uh, priorities lie there. But it, it's this general hypocrisy, isn't it, that runs through the debate online and and even in you know as we mentioned there, major major outlets with highly respected journalists who, quite frankly, probably should know better.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, speaking to a lot of these journalists, I'm blocked by many of them now. The second I mentioned <laughs> that my, my degree was in politics of the Middle East, they tend to shut up and block me on Twitter now. Um, you know, those in red like to talk about class and tradition, but let's, let's, let's really look at it with Arsenal. Their biggest tradition was their Tuesday drinking club. You know, for many years, (laughs) you know, this isn't a club that are built on class and tradition. They're a club built on, you know, moving out of South London to North London to make more money themselves in 1910, 1912, I think it may be. You know, this—they're a club who have always tried to be the number one dog in, number one top dog in London, and they're just not, frankly. So for them to speak now on class and tradition is just a bit funny. Especially, you know, as we said, the Emirates Stadium—they—they they got that stadium built because of Emirates. Um, they wear "Visit Rwanda" on their um, shirt sleeves. You know, one of the worst events in human history happened in Rwanda. Um, but you know, as we said, we're not going to go too much into the politics of it. But you know, I think uh, Al Mubarak, City's chairman, said it very well a couple of years ago. He will not let Manchester City be used as a diversionary tactics for other clubs' bad financial decisions. I don't remember Sheikh Mansour paying eighty million pounds for Nicholas Pepe. I don't remember <laughs> you know uh, Kalasinac staying at the club for so long because of Sheikh Mansour, or Shrodam Mustafi um, staying at the club for staying at the club for so long. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, Sheikh Mansour, who, you know, has dunked on Arsenal for years and years in the Premier League now, um, you know, it's their own shortcomings. They've got to, you know, you've got to own your failures as much as you've got to own your success. Um, and we and we at Manchester City, I think as, as a fan base, we're quite good at doing that. You know, we're, you know, everyone says oh, City have no history, but they have this long history of kind of being a knee league club. You know, we, we have we had great periods in the 60s and 70s. We had a mini resurgence in the 80s that never really came to anything. Um, And then we went down a dark hole for a bit. And at that point, you could say, you know, up until 2008, we were one of the most respected clubs in the Premier League. You know, seen as a club who did it the right way for the fans, seen as a club who, you know, were were proud owners of their colours and a proud, you know, local fan base. And now everyone goes, oh, you've got no fans or you've got no tradition. But 10 years ago, they weren't saying that. 15 years ago, they weren't saying that. And that's just City's reputation now. You know, they're just, they're they're almost scared of us. And I just find it funny. You know, Arsenal fans, they're ones who like to talk loud anyway. You know, AFTV was born out of frustration at that club. And now they're just desperate for a reason to keep existing. To what? Make money. God, money's such a bad thing, isn't it? You know that's why their transfer spend is what hundreds and hundreds of millions. Um, you know, comparable with City, um, and so you know they've only got themselves to blame. Let's be honest. Uh, I won't. I won't see this club. You know, cons- be, be consumed by mm. Arsenal's fans' hatred of us because, frankly, I don't care about Arsenal. Up until this season, I don't think I, I any three of us cared about Arsenal. They weren't seen as a. a club that could really challenge us and to be honest I don't think they've got it in them to sustain this challenge like Liverpool did for a couple of years or like Man United were doing in the early 2010s you know with Ferguson and Mancini going at it for a few years you know I don't see that set up there for a lot for a lot of us we saw Arsenal as Arteta's managerial apprenticeship um, which I think speaks a lot about what City fans feel about Arsenal I've never had a problem with Arsenal. But this season, their fans have shown themselves up to just be like the rest of them, really. You know, red-shirted gobshites.
0: (laughs) Brap, brap, (laughs) brap. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Clip that up, please. But yeah, you speak about the class and tradition. This is a football club, Arsenal, who, um, you know, let's make no mistake. We would not be having this conversation about class and tradition if it wasn't for a select group of uh north face coat wearing Ooh, chai Ash- latte drinking the ashburton the ashburn Army. ultra yeah whatever it is the uh yeah yeah the, the, the Ashburn red boys. Kids club <laughs> yeah if they didn't bring up class and tradition you know this is a football club in arsenal who were voted into the football league ahead of tottenham despite finishing sixth in the second division at the time. They were they were lob- using a conservative MP at the time, the mayor of the mayor of Fulham, uh, this is going back hundreds of years to to lobby the football league to get them voted into the first division. This is a football club who had to wait nearly 30 years after Manchester City won their first trophy to get their hands on silverware in English football. Uh, City were the first club. Uh, City won a European trophy before Arsenal as well. So you know there is plenty of class and tradition we can bring up. Something that oil money, as as is as is the banner says, cannot buy. And it happened years and years and years before Arsenal managed it themselves.
3: Well, you're forgetting that history started in
0: 1990. True. You yeah. Know,
3: true. The, the <clears throat> when when fans of other clubs talk about you have no history or we've got the history and the class and the heritage. The heyday of English football. I mean, it may it may be now with all the superstars and the money and blah 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 blah. But the nostalgic heyday of English football is you know the early nineties, right? The formation of the Premier mm. League and and the 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 Fergie days, Fergie and Wenger, all that whole era. That's the nostalgic heyday of English football. So if you weren't on a pedestal at that time, you're irrelevant to a, in a lot mm. of people's eyes. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that that's it. it history didn't start in nineteen ninety two.
0: Absolutely, it started Absolutely. in 1776
3: on July 4th.
0: <laughs> oh dear, me! I don't even think you were that way inclined. You can take the American out of Adam, but you'll never take Adam out of America. Anyway, um, yeah, you know, you, you mentioned it there, Ollie, about the money being spent. Adam, I'll stick with you. Eight million pounds on Nicholas Pepe. You know, let's let's bring in other clubs who may have this similar sort of of gripe with Manchester City. Um, Alexis Sanchez, for example. City often get um labeled do of of I can't remember where I saw it but somebody somebody quoted after the Arsenal free Southampton free game that how can it how can the Premier League be dubbed a league where anything can happen when a team with and these are the quotes again infinite resources or infinite finances can go on and win the league x amount of times out of x amount of years how many times have City walked away from a transfer deal because they don't have the so called infinite infinite amount of, of of transfer money to spend? You know, this summer, Adam, Kukureya, I can think of Alexis Sanchez, as I mentioned, I can think of Jorginho. There are a number of times when City have said no to deals and they've they've almost hampered their own recruitment. Start this season. We were going into the campaign without a real recognised left back, Sergio Gomez notwithstanding. That could have really been detrimental to City's team. But guess what? Pep Guardiola being the manager he is, he found a solution. It isn't City's fault that being the most successful football club in English football over the last decade or so, having the best players, because guess what? That's where the best players want to play, at the best club. And having the best manager, who wants to manage at the best club. It's an utter fallacy, isn't it? And a coping mechanism for a lot of people.
3: It apps all of this, everything that we're, we're speaking about is a coping mechanism. You know, you have the, the grown men coming out and, you know, a 50 year old man who's been going to, to football for, you know, 40 years or whatever, saying city have no fans when he probably went to main road in the nineties. You know, he, he yeah. probably, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's all a coping mechanism and, um, you bring up the transfers and how city have walked away from many deals and, um, like you said, we, especially you and I, Amos, long before we, this was a daily show and it was just you and I once a week or twice a week, we talked a lot about Citi's ownership and the way they've used their money and the source of the money and blah, 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 blah. And, and I think we have to put it out there that we are coming at this from a, as fair and balanced um, point mm. of view as we can be. But you have to look at the way that city have used their money, particularly the Abu Dhabi United Group in, in the early 2010s. And you have to respect it. You know, they don't come in and they, yes, there was, you know, the very, very, very early days of bidding for, for Kaka and, and, Mm. you know, Rabinho comes in, but they come in and they, they put money into the academy. They put money into the stadium. They put money into the local communicate, the community. They, they basically renovate the entirety of East Manchester and they set up a platform so that when they start to build with players and managers, it's a platform of long-term sustainability and success. And so it's not a situation in which the club have to look at players like Paul Pogba who wants an extra hundred grand a week, or, you know, the agent wants another 20 million in fees or the, or the selling club wants another 15, 20 million in, in transfer fees. They don't have to, to make moves like that because they're set up for long-term success. They don't need to break, you know, the English transfer record once or twice a season, like Chelsea like to do, or United like to do, because they have their long-term vision and a long-term plan that they use their money wisely to, to build on. So logically thinking people have to look at, at city And now Newcastle, you can bring Newcastle in this conversation as well, and they have to respect the way they've done things. Newcastle didn't come in and say, we're going to go get Neymar and Mbappe, partly because they can't because of financial fair play rules and, and, and things like that. But they're doing it in a way where they're building a platform for long-term success, and yeah, I, I, it's it's crazy to me that logically thinking people wouldn't view this as the right way of go. If you're going to be a filthy rich club, this is the right way of going about it. It absolutely is. Um, but you're spot on that it's absolutely a coping mechanism. And you know, you've got fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw somebody last night having a legitimate serious argument with somebody who posted a picture of the City Spurs League Cup final in the COVID year when only eight thousand fans could travel for for each club and said, "Well, look at this attendance. You you're telling me they've got high revenues? There were sixteen (laughs) thousand people inside Wembley that day. So it's a virus. We're we're causing people. Listen, this is the more emotional side of me coming up. We're causing people to go bald." We're causing people to, to bite their nails. We're causing we're probably causing distress inside people's personal relationships in their family homes, and it's all because of football. I mean, it's yeah. that is that is the most beautiful thing. I'm not one for museums, especially art museums. They don't really get me going. But if somebody could make a museum of tweets of people who are just <laughs> having a bad day caused by city. I would go to that museum and give unlimited donations and I would just sit there looking at every exhibition, the attendance fuming, the money fuming, the source of the money fuming. It it would be incredible.
0: I mean, well, well, could you imagine, could you imagine how much money that museum would generate for FFP if we were able to imagine how. Exactly. Stick it it on the net spend.
3: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
0: Maybe maybe that's Um, the plan.
2: Maybe Liverpool that's. Liverpool have plan. Coutinho the money, music. and we
3: have the Louvre money. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, the Louvre. The, loom. Loom. <laughs> the <loom.
2: laughs> um, I mean, I mean they, let's just get one thing straight though on. first. The amount of political scholars, the amount of accountants that have come out of cities, you know, newfound fame. Um, the UK and Ireland, and Ireland especially, you know, it's it's a gr- it's a growing place for, you know, kind of esteemed people, these esteemed roles. Cause I've never known so many accountants. I've never known so many people who are that good at math, that like they can count a whole stadium's attendance in 20 seconds. <laughs> I've never known so many people be able to understand, um, you know what actually happens in the middle east you know but apparently Mm. everyone online and on twitter can which is just the amazing Mm. thing and there's one very quick point i want to make the um, and you and you mentioned it there adam about the transfer the transfer record being broken the amount of times city have had it slung at them that we've raised the transfer prices the one time City actually broke the record was for Jack Grealish, and it was a release clause. You know, it wasn't a negotiated deal; it was pay that I don't get him at all. And then Chelsea will go and break it twelve, you know, twelve months, eighteen months later. You know, this is this is a world in which Liverpool paid seventy-five million for Virgil Van Dyke, a record at the time. Harry Maguire, eighty million in Manchester United. Uh, Allison and Kepper in the same season, sixty-five and seventy million. This is we're not a club who. who Constantly drive at the prices in the transfer market. We're a club trying to keep them down. If anything, Hmm.
0: yeah, yeah, and and I think you know the as we said, we're coming at a fair and balanced point of view. The counter arguments that would be the transfer fees may be small, but it's the the wages that you sometimes have to look at. And again, you know, City are the best club in in the country. They're one of the best clubs in Europe. They may well end the season with a European title, which would obviously then elevate them to the next level. They're attracting the biggest names in the sport for a reason. It isn't because they're able to just throw money at them. That's helpful. But guess what? The best players get paid the best amounts of money. It is as simple as that. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll wrap before we go to part two on sort of maybe a little bit of a, a self-reflection because I, I don't think anybody here is trying to kid themselves about Sheik Mansour, Manchester City, etc. And it's interesting ahead of this Arsenal game to sort of look back on stuff like this in this part of the season because, you know, let's let's face it, it's not a, a philanthropy mission from Sheik Mansour. It's not a not-for-profit organisation. The East Manchester renovation is fantastic and it's helps a lot of people out. But ultimately, it's so that the owners can make a bit of money. Which is ultimately better, isn't it, Adam, than say, I don't know, for example, FSG at Liverpool, who acquired the club for peanuts, absolute small change of, of a fee. I think we're talking like, you know, mere millions and then could go on to sell it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, close to billions of pounds. You know, they are adding... Capacity to their stadium because they know when they come to sell it, it's a much more lucrative offer. Tottenham Hotspur, for example, when their owners come to sell it, that new stadium that they'll be paying off for the next billion years is going to fetch a bigger price than it would be the dilapidated White Hart Lane. You can speak about the motives and you can speak about the source, but when ultimately there are owners of American background, of English background, of whatever background you want to say, rinsing. Football clubs, historical institutions—Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United—historical institutions of foot of, of English football. They're rinsing them. They're using them as cash pigs. You know, surely that's the issue people should be looking at.
3: Absolutely, I've always, I've always, you know, talked to Liverpool fans online or or United fans online, and and said, don't be angry with our owners. It's your owners taking you know millions of dividends you know out of the club every year when if it rains. You know the roof is about to collapse. You know that that that's not City's fault. That that's don't that's, speak
0: about the rain in the toilet though, because that's a completely different type.
3: Well, yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's it's it. It all comes back to it being a coping mechanism, really. That that's it. It's mm. um, if all of this was going on, and we have perfect examples of this in the Premier League, if City had these owners and this much investment and a new stadium, and you know everything that's going on with the club, but they weren't getting success on the field, we wouldn't even be having this conversation because they wouldn't be paid attention to. You look at Wolves, mm-hmm. you look at the things that their owners have funded, the genocide that their owners have funded, the the atrocities that their owners have funded. When's the last time you saw, I won't name names, certain writers at The Athletic writing a piece about you know Fosun and the Wolves owners? It it doesn't happen. If they start winning titles, it would, because it's not that this, this, all of this money, the evil money and creeping its way into football and blah, 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 blah. It's an issue because it's upset the apple cart with the few elite clubs who had their own evil sources of money and their own monopoly on the sport. And now one of the quote unquote bad boys has broken in. So we need to, we need to tear it down. But if City yeah. were still finishing twelfth and thirteenth, it it wouldn't be an issue. Let's make that clear.
2: No, I don't, I don't remember anyone complaining when Saxon Chinoat's own City, um, and you know that guy and that guy had his assets frozen. He was a he was running away from his homeland because he was a criminal there. You know, if if City had never had any of this success, not one article by these, you know, nineteen eighty nine born, you know, eight pound eight, eight pound latte. Drinking athletic writers—they wouldn't say a word about us. They wouldn't care about us like they claim to. You know, the, just this morning, you know, one one of the Man United writers was writing about okay, you've got to protect the treble, protect the treble. You know, I just—it's insufferable from these people. You know, are they are they yeah. really up all all night all? You know, hours of the night, every midnight, screaming their, screaming their lungs out because of Manchester City. I feel they probably are some other points. Mm. You know, I think for a lot of my United fans, yes, um, on Sunday, you know, after that final had finished, uh, after that semi-final had finished, they were probably more worried about their precious treble being taken by a dirty oil club. I mean, if that just mm. says it all. I don't, I don't I hate using the phrase rent free, but we have been rent free for fifteen years. I mean, and you and a lot of people allege that about our stadium. I mean that's just smart business if you ask me <laughs> and it's the and that's the thing smart business decisions of what got to see here it's not just money because we've seen money flow into the premier league at ridiculous rates and it go nowhere you know Mm. it takes good decision makers good people who know what what football is about and that's the difference between city in 2008 and 2009 between city now that you know think of what could have happened to newcastle if you know amanda staveley was running the show just look at chelsea four billion pound takeover todd bowley is interim director of football and it's an absolute mess that will probably take them years to fix you know focus on your own selves before you come shouting about us
0: You do well to get anywhere rent-free in this current market, let me tell you. Um, (laughs) Right, okay, we're going to have a breather. We're going to have a lie down. Join us after this. Hello, listener, and welcome back to the City Report podcast. This episode is sponsored by Beer Monster, the best place to find a variety of ales at refreshingly low prices. Purchase before the end of April and you'll get £5 off every order and there's also free shipping for any order over £35. UK residents only 18 and over drink responsibly. So, um if this didn't get you cancelled already, Ollie, this next point, my AC Milan consider a bid for out of favor Kyle Walker. Do you let him go? Do you keep him? I mean, we've got we've got a few minutes left before we wrap for the full time, so uh keep it clean, but you're a, you're quite a fan, aren't you?
2: I am a fan of this deal. Um and, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm going to put it straight out there. I don't, I don't like Carl Walker as a person as a footballer. I'm incredibly respectful of what he's done for Manchester City. He has been a brilliant player for us, but I just think this makes sense. You know, herald in the new era at Manchester City, you know, we've talked about City wanting to do a big rebuild this summer, uh, especially in the fullback areas. And it looks like we're going to have to, because, well, we have next to no fullbacks anyway. Um, you know, if, AC Milan want to offer a, a you know a, a nominal fee for him and you know take and take a big, uh, big waged bench warmer off our hands. Feel free to lads. Um, I think I think his his declining pace will suit that league more than it will in the Premier League. I don't want this is this is the thing with me. Kyle Walker, if he loses that pace, he won't be good enough to be a Manchester City player. Frankly, it's not that his football brain isn't good. You know, Pep kind of made that football brain in him, but he can't play. Certain roles that Pep wants, the roles he can play just don't exist in our squad anymore, really. And those that do, there are better players at them. You know, Manuel Akanji has been a stalwart in that third centre back, right sided centre back role that you know Pep hinted Carl Walker could play. So I would say, do it. Move. Let's move on from this situation. Apparently, there's been talks of him. You know, especially after the World Cup, being grumpy. It's the right time for everyone. He's been a fearless, incredible player for us. But, you know, all good mm. things must come to an end.
0: Is there a danger, Adam, that perhaps maybe City jumped the gun a little bit here? Obviously, you know, Carl Walker's been, as Ollie alludes to, a, a fantastic servant for City. And it goes back to what we were saying in part one about the way City run the club and, and the great business decisions they make. It's not, you know, whatever fee AC Milan potentially could offer, it's not going to come close to recuperating any of the fifty odd million pounds that he spent on him. That's fine. He's got a year left on his contract, but is it worth him staying an extra year and leaving on a fit on a free as opposed to perhaps taking? I don't know what it would be if we're lucky, maybe a 10, 12 million pound transfer fee, you know, is his experience of somebody like Rico Lewis, who's coming through the academy more valuable than just taking that sort of that, that quick butt? because it's probably not going to help city in the long run, given the money they've already recouped on transfer fees and what they'll go on and spend in this summer anyway.
3: From a, a business side and a footballing side. Yeah, it's worth it to keep him around, but that, that kind of eliminates the human aspect of him likely wanting to play Um He'll probably still want to be in the um, England squad for the upcoming euros. He'll probably see that it's mm. probably his last um, international tournament unless he makes it to 2026 World Cup, which at the moment feels doubtful. Um, so I think there is some value. The issue is, like Ali pointed out, what's the role for him in the team? You know we have to consider maybe I Eric Laporte leaving in the summer. If so, is there maybe an open spot in a center back role in a three for him? We know he, he's played there before. Um, he played there for England and has, has done well there. We've seen it a little bit this season, but that was when City were a mess everywhere on and off the pitch. So it's I find it a bit hard to judge. Um, so there is a role for him. He gives you the a, a bit of tactical flexibility as well if you do Need, feel the need to go to a natural back four and have overlapping fullbacks again you, you've got somebody that you can rely on and like ollie pointed out there is a big refresh needed in the fullback position but i think you're making you're making it harder on yourself if you go ahead and get rid of another one well not another one the one the mm-hmm. the one senior fullback you have at the moment i mean rico lewis is obviously coming through and we've seen flashes of brilliance from him and he's he's going to be an absolute player but if you already need reinforcements in a position, there's no reason to give yourself, you know, an even slower start by by losing one. Um, you're not tied down to a long-term contract. It's not as if AC Milan is your get out of jail free card or we can get we can get him off of our hands. He stays for another year, he goes for a free. Like you said, you're not going to recoup much of that transfer fee that you paid for him in, in 2017. So I don't see the benefit in letting him go unless it's a purely human decision, unless he mm-hmm. simply says, I will not stay here unless I'm playing 30-odd games a season again, unless I'm in that, that back four week in, week out, in the biggest games of the season, because he's not going to be. Let's be honest. If it was a Champions League final tomorrow, he's not in your best 11, which you, w- you wouldn't have said that coming into the season. So, yeah, from, from a kind of robotic, ruthless point of view, I see many reasons to keep him, but if he's unhappy, he's unhappy and we know that Pep and the club are, are perfectly happy to let players go if it, you know, is a better opportunity for them and, and they can, you know, provide some sort of deal.
0: It is telling, isn't it? We've got this big game against Arsenal tomorrow, which we'll obviously be covering on tomorrow's show in a bit more detail than the sort of the, 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 the bits and bobs we did earlier in part one, but He'd have been playing nine times out of ten barring an injury in a title deciding game in mid-April. This time last year, this time two years ago, this time five years ago. It's telling, isn't it, that like the drop off has come so sharply, and that and that he's probably not in the plans going forward.
3: But but, but like I said, but, but is we'll, it is it a drop off, or is I mean, it a drop off from, from having a role? Because I haven't I haven't felt that he's been that bad. I think that he's been. You know, we started the season conceding loads of goals. He wasn't playing well, but he was playing as a fucking holding midfielder. And has said it himself: he can't play there. You know what, what? What would you expect from him? Put him at put him at right back in a back four and have him overlap a you know an inverted winger. And I think he's still ace. We just we don't do. He doesn't have the opportunity to do that. So I think it's harsh to say there's been a drop off when actually he's just thrown into a position that he's not going to thrive in. And then we just wrote him off like that.
2: Yeah, but I think that's kind of um, the point though, isn't it? You know, Pep's obviously wedded to this system. Whether that's for next season or not, we'll find out with our transfer business. But I don't think, you know, there'd be any talk of this if we were still playing a back four because, because he's, he's able to do that. But, but frankly, that's my point. If, so it's yeah, not a
3: drop off on his it's not, end. It's a drop off on his role.
0: No, I, mean, I don't I mean, know, man, that Leicester game wasn't. He didn't yeah he wasn't great that.
2: and i mean my, my point is i and think he's dropped, four. i think his actual full-on drop-off is going to come in the next year or two because that pace doesn't last forever he can be as fit as he wants but we've seen him getting more and more injuries in that ankle area in with his hamstrings you know those injuries that take away your pace those are injuries that can really affect a defender who is who has that one truly elite quality like kyle walker does um, but there isn't a place for him here unless he wants to be a rotational player. And, you know, some players at the end of their careers, they're happy to do that. You know, we've seen a lot of players come towards the end of their careers at City and being a rotational player. Fernandinho did it. And, you know, we kept him around, you know, probably a year longer than he wanted to because of his experience. If they were to keep him, I'm not going to complain about it. I, I would complain if they wanted to renew his contract, but I don't think they do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, if, if the decision is, you know, John Stones, Manuel Akanji, or Carl Walker as the right-sided centre back in a three, I'm taking Stones or Akanji any day over Walker now. And in six months, and in twelve months, he's not at he, he can't. He's not as good as those two. He's good enough for England, but England defend 20, 30 meters further back. You know, for all for all their flaws, they don't have three John Stones in you know, quality defenders. They have one John Stones quality defender um, to England's detriment. But, you know, we've got we've got five top-level centre-backs. One of them could be going, but he will be replaced by a similarly top-level centre-back. There's not a place for him here anymore if we're sticking with this system. And I can't see us going back to a back four with overlapping full-backs anytime soon. And if we were to, then, you know, that requires at least two, one on either side coming in because I don't think there's the numbers there. And I wouldn't rely on Kyle Walker to be doing that job in 18 months or 12 months.
0: Time will tell. Um, okay let's get out of there adam thank you very much ollie thank you, thank you this, very much
3: this felt like a therapy <laughs> session i've got to say it felt, it felt very <laughs> I good
0: i've been one of the yeah, best it, letting those demons out and god knows what's down the line after wednesday's game stick around tomorrow big preview for that one until next time we'll see you later
1: on 16-123. that's 16-123. they are there to listen without judgement or pressure 24 7 365 days of the year let's all take a moment to talk more than football
0: make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery great food delivered right to your door by using McDelivery you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running and just like Kevin De Bruyne they deliver your order exactly where you want it Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport
1: Fan Network. Talk sport powered by fans.